We're here all in for midday, and it's a busier and a bird dog day across the Rural Radio Network of stations, so let's get right to it. Uh, Susan, we're going to play our game of Where Are You? So, Susan, where are you? I am just outside of Bellwood, Nebraska. We just uh, finished filming our Fridays in the field. Kind of one of those creepy ones because we had lightning all around us. Luckily, uh, it stayed far enough away, but still, it'll be interesting to go back and watch that video to see that lightning in the background as my producer talks. So when you say, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, but you know, safety first, so that's why it took us a little bit longer to get it recorded, because, you know, you just got to watch what Mother Nature's doing. Any damage out there? You know, not at all. They got a little bit of rain today, so the the waters have really receded, but the fields are wet, no need for irrigation for a while, they said. So you've been busier than a bird dog, and uh, we're going to be hearing some reports from you and the rest of the farm team about the Nebraska governor and the director of agriculture. You bet. You know, coming up at 1219, I caught up yesterday at Jesus Homestead Cheese just outside of Brainerd, Nebraska, where the governor and the director of agriculture were touring some dairy entities across the state, and that was their first stop. So we get the governor's thoughts on cheese-making, trade, and, of course, the director of agriculture's thoughts as well on the dairy industry and what it means to the state. Then we're going to jump into our 1245 where Alan Vanalek is talking about farm succession. That's been a lot of discussion as of late, reminding producers to have all that kind of paperwork and paper trail started when it comes to turning over your farm to the next generation. And at 117, it's on the farm readiness review. We'll get more about that coming from Alex. So another busy Thursday amongst the farm team. Many thanks there, Susan Littlefield, and we're going to turn it here a little more closer to at least arm's reach just beyond a Jason Jorgensen here. And uh, unfortunately, within the uh, College World Series, the Arkansas Razorbacks have joined Fred Merkel, Bill Buckner, and Fred Snodgrass as first baseman who uh, made a little blunder that could be very, uh, very costly here. You have to wonder. We've right. all seen it before. Right. When you have a chance to mm-hmm. finish someone off in a championship setting, and then it doesn't doesn't happen. We'll see. Game three tonight. Folks all wanted a game three, but uh, not like that. One strike away from winning it all. We'll get the thoughts of head coach Dave Van Horn about that. Uh, it'll be a hot one today in Omaha as that game is moved up due to TV considerations. So it will start at five thirty. Also coming up in sports, a hot day for golf, but the Nebraska Match Play Championship is continuing in Omaha. Semifinals are uh, slated. We'll tell you who all was able to advance on. And also, a longtime and one of the most successful high school volleyball coaches in the state of Nebraska, Diane Rose. She was honored this week as the uh, National Volleyball Coach of the Year. So we'll... Uh, touch on that later on as well very well deserved honor for her and her entire program bob brogan stocks are markets are mixed today a little bit mixed following some uh, losses yesterday also uh, u.s crude oil up again uh, rising 1.1 percent to 73 dollars and some change in other action uh, we're watching as uh, the irs chief nominee is pledging to work for all taxpayers so that's uh, one of the things going on. Toys R Us is closing its last U.S. stores by tomorrow. The end of an era there. So one of my favorite places to shop. One of my favorite places when I was that age, but now it's just going <laughs> to drive on by. Rest of midday is coming up. Farming is a tough business that requires tough equipment. 
That goes for your irrigation system as well, which is why an irrigation system from Coolman Repair, your local Ranky dealer, is built to be durable and reliable. High-strength steel, superior engineering, and an industry-leading 10-year warranty on gearboxes. That is what a Ranky irrigation system is made of. Give the irrigation professionals at Coolman Repair a call today. Find out just how tough they really are. Ranky, more right than rain. And Coolman Repair, your local irrigation experts. Dirk Christensen joining us once again, bringing us the very latest in ag weather, especially on a regional scale, and some very recent updates here, Dirk. Yep, we do, and uh, it's a heat advisory. That surprises no one. Heat advisory in effect from this afternoon, and uh, you could probably feel that already, but it actually technically begins at 1 p.m. and will go on into 8 p.m. this evening. With heat index values expected to top out somewhere between 100 and 110 degrees over a large portion of central Nebraska, and that uh, is going to stretch, uh, well, just about everything that you could think of here in the middle of uh, of KRVN country. The winds southerly at between 15 and 25, we'll probably see some gusts to 30, which will begin some drying as well. Hashtag convection oven with all of that. <laughs> you got that right, exactly. Low pressure will form over Wyoming today, and that forces this warm front to lift across the region. The low moving then on into the northern plains tonight, and on into Friday, the cool front moves into Nebraska and Kansas then. And temperatures will be very hot today and tomorrow, not dropping off until Saturday. A few thunderstorms will be possible behind the front for Friday night into Saturday, and then we will be looking at uh, probably the nicest day of the next seven on Sunday with uh, less in terms of temperatures, less humidity, and less in terms of wind. In terms of what's going on for the market traders today, the heat of early July in the Midwest and the warm to hot conditions expected in the Black Sea region, along with that that's going on in the northern China Plain, are key weather items that commodity traders are focusing on today. The ag weather forecast calls for a brief hot spell in the western Midwest followed by the scattered thunderstorms and a drying trend over the next week and mainly above normal temperatures that is likely to diminish soil moisture and increase stress on crops. In the eastern Midwest, not a lot of rain forecast during the next week to 10 and temperatures turn hotter during the weekend before they moderate somewhat next week. Soil steadily drying out, increasing stress to crops, especially in areas that had not had those good rains so far this month. Heat remains in store for the southern plains. Hotter, drier trend in store over the next 10 days. That'll favor winter wheat harvest following last week's rain. And the heat and dryness will, in turn, deplete soil moisture. That will be increasing some stress on the corn, soybeans, and sorghum, and especially pollinating corn in those areas. West Texas, uh, West Texas cotton area is more hot and dry and more excessive heat is likely northern plains areas more favorable weather for developing corn soybeans and spring wheat during the next 10 days however thunderstorms with heavy rain strong winds and hail could cause some local damage for later tonight the canadian prairies a variable pressure pattern and episodes of showers will favor developing crops right now rainfall appears to favor south and east locations during a five-day period but may come a little bit further north after that for southern russia they're staying hot the black sea region the west and central areas of ukraine continue to show a little improvement with episodes of rain and thunderstorms and slightly cooler but in the eastern ukraine especially southern russia continuing hot and 
and dry. Prospects for corn and sunflower likely to continue to decline in those locations. Northeast China temperatures turning somewhat hotter as well. Rain chances diminishing during the next five to ten days. Hotter, drier patterns will be warranting some attention from traders. And in the northeast and central areas, North China Plains had temperatures anywhere from 93 to 103 Fahrenheit on Wednesday. Thunderstorm, thunderstorm threats have ended for now, and the weather's likely to stay hot there as new rainfall systems develop, but not until next week. And the monsoon rains continue in the forecast for central India, expanding northward onto the Ganges Plain. Significant rainfall somewhat less certain in those areas. So that is all factoring into our, our market picture. Mostly sunny and hot with a high temperature expected near 99 for central Nebraska today, but breezy. Look for winds gusting as high as 30 miles an hour. 76 tonight, still hot, 96 tomorrow. Don't forget those heat advisories out there and take care if you're out in it. 30% is the chance of showers by the time we get to Friday night, and a 20% chance by Sunday might be a little bit more toward the livable time on Sunday as we get toward 84 degrees and a lot more comfortable. For what it's worth, it's 56 degrees right now in Anchorage, Alaska, so <laughs> we've got that going for us. That's not worth much. And of course, if you would like to hear this all again, it's going to be on our podcast on our website. That's right, krvn.com. <laughs> Time for a market update on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Even seeing the U.S. dollar index come off of its lows, soybeans have now turned to the green with support from the soybean parts complex. Corn and wheat also coming off their lows. Feeder cattle, triple-digit gains earlier, have now turned to red on some of the out 19 months. All right, July corn now trading at 351.5, down 1. September, 361, even down 3 quarters. December at 372, even down 1 and a quarter. March, 381 and 3 quarters, down 1. July soybeans 867 and three quarters up a quarter august now unchanged at 873 even september at 879 even up a half november at 890 and a quarter up one and a quarter july chicago wheat at 482 even up two and a half september 486 and three quarters down one and three quarters december 502 and three quarters down one july kansas city wheat at 457 and three quarters down two and a half september 476 and a quarter down two december at 499 and a half down two as well to the livestock June live cattle at a buck seven forty seven up forty five August at a buck three sixty two up ninety October at a buck six ninety seven up eighty two December at a buck eleven twenty two up fifty feeder cattle in August at a buck forty six eighty seven up a dollar ten September at a buck forty seven twenty seven up eighty October at a buck forty seven oh seven up sixty and November at a buck forty seven fifteen up sixty five July lean hogs now trending at eighty eighty seven up sixty five August at seventy five sixty seven up 62 October at 6125 down a nickel in December at 5637 down 15 let's go to the outside markets now with the Dow Jones Industrial Average turning around now up 30 at 24148 significantly off its lows just 45 from the high Nasdaq up 23 at 7468 and the S&P 500 up 2 at 2707 this is the Rural Radio Network Every season, you try to raise the bar to achieve your best corn yield ever. But disease can stand in the way, like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, anthracnose leaf blight, and southern rust. New Delaro fungicide can stop them. Two different modes of action work on the diseases for the entire spray interval, delivering best-in-class dual-mode-of-action residual efficacy for extended performance. It's the help you need for personal best yields. Keep raising the bar with Delaro from Bayer. 
Always read and follow label instructions. In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Our program, The Fontenelle Final Bell, gives you a chance to ask the experts your marketing questions. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for The Fontenelle Final Bell podcast each trading day as we dig deeper into the factors shaping the day's market activity. Tweet your questions to RRN Markets and catch The Fontenelle Final Bell podcast updated each weekday afternoon at ruralradio.com. You can also search Rural Radio on iTunes and tune in. by majority leader likely means farm bill vote today or Friday. I'm Shaley Peters with you on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday look at our ag news for a Thursday. The farm bill got complicated on the Senate floor Wednesday. Debates over funding USDA programs for trade with Cuba and the idea of restricting President Donald Trump's tariff tariff abilities both ended up slowing down the vote on Senate version of the farm bill. Politico reported the farm bill could be stalled because of Senator Marco Rubio and Senator Ted Cruz opposed using USDA trade promotion programs for marketing U.S. agricultural products to Cuba, a major focus for commodity organizations that have wanted to boost trade to the island. Also, Senator Charles Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, got his language added to the farm bill, which would limit the number of farm managers who can receive farm program payments. Grassley also took to Twitter to announce his amendment had been signed off by Roberts and Stabenow. Early Wednesday evening, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, a Republican from Kentucky, filed cloture on the farm bill. Under the cloture process, a vote on the final bill could be held one hour after the Senate convenes on Friday, but the senators could decide to yield time and hold the vote early, especially since the July 4th congressional break is looming, or they could fail to come to an agreement and have to take up the bill again after the break. And Farm Bureau has been traveling across the state this past week conducting listening sessions. Clay Patton attended the Hastings session and brings us more. Nearly 50 people came to make sure their voices were heard at the Farm Bureau listening session in Hastings. By the end of the night, a good portion of one wall was covered in thoughts and ideas shared by the crowd. Steve Nelson, president of Nebraska Farm Bureau, talks about several common themes coming up in these listening sessions and one he didn't expect. There were a lot of things that were brought up, but there certainly are some common themes that we've heard at both events so far, particularly relating to the farm economy and the tight margins that we have in practically everything that we grow and raise here in Nebraska. One thing that that you wouldn't think normally that a farm organization would be talking about, but the cost of health care is one of the things that we continue to hear about, uh, too, and, and that has become one of the larger expenses on farms and ranch. Another listening session is slated for tonight in West Point, and then Farm Bureau will start them again in August. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. And U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue made remarks this morning during an appearance on CNBC's Squawk Box where he reassured Americans, farmers, ranchers, foresters, and producers that they will not have to bear the brunt of China's retaliatory tariffs resulting from trade disputes. Obviously, the president has told me to tell them that he's not going to allow them to bear the brunt of these trade disruptions and to make a plan for mitigation unless if we're unable to resolve the trade issue. That's obviously what farmers would prefer. They would like to have trade. They want to sell their products. They're the most productive in the world. They come to depend on exports, and that's their first choice. But if they don't, they've got to pay their bills like everyone else. They can't have their uh, livelihood reduced by uh, uh, 20% more on top of the 50%. It's down over the last five years. 
And finally, the amount of biofuels gallons lost to small refinery waivers was worse than many had estimated. The EPA granted waivers to the renewable fuel standard in 2016 and 17, totaling 2.25 billion gallons of biofuels, according to the agency's latest renewable volume obligations proposal released earlier this week. In a recent analysis, the Renewable Fuels Association estimated the total to be around 1.6 billion gallons. You can find more on that story by visiting ruralradio.com. You're listening to Ag News on the Rural Radio Network. Wrapping up June Dairy Month and talking trade. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Yesterday I had the opportunity to go to stop one of the dairy tour with Governor Pete Ricketts and the Director of Agriculture, Steve Wellman. So I asked the governor a little bit about June Dairy Month. Yeah, June is Dairy Month, and so we are traveling around highlighting all the great work that our dairies do. And it really is an important aspect of how we grow Nebraska. Agriculture is our number one industry. And if we've got to grow Nebraska, we have to grow agriculture. And dairy is a great way to create that value-added agriculture that helps add economic activity to our entire state. With Nebraska's involvement with trade, I asked the governor if he had any concerns about all the trade and tariff negotiation and discussions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've had a lot of dialogue with the uh, federal government and the Trump administration with regard to trade because, you know, we produce way more food here in our state than we can possibly consume. And so we have to have those markets overseas to be able to take our products um, other places to sell them. And so our concerns have been, hey, you know, we've got an opportunity here to be able to get some better trade deals, but we also need to wrap these up before our producers are being impacted. And so that's really been our message is, you know, we're with the administration, we know we need to get better trade deals, but we also have to make sure that we get this wrapped up, that if it starts impacting people, uh, you know, later this fall, that's going to be bad for our economy and it's going to have an impact on the jobs we have here in our state. So our message has been, get this worked out trying to get it wrapped up here by the end of the summer so that we don't see that impact to our producers. So then what's the economic impact? Well, we've already seen farm income be cut in half since 2013 because of low commodity prices. Trade uncertainty is just going to create further pressure, downward pressure on those commodity prices, and we don't need that here in our state. We need to see commodity prices go up. So that's why, again, we're really encouraging the administration to get this all wrapped up here by the end of the summer. And by the way, stop one of the dairy tour, you learned a lot. Stop one was we have great cheese here in Nebraska. And, you know, this is a, you know, it's a tough business. You've got to work hard to hustle and get your products marketed. But it really is a, a great way to be able to improve the economics of agriculture by adding value. And in this case, looking at making cheese. It's pretty cool to see how it uh, works. You know, it's a process that's obviously been around for thousands of years. But it really is, the way you get, you know, this high quality product is going to be these smaller operations that are adding more, you know, uh, love to the operation. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's more handcrafted, so you get a product that really is high quality. Steve Wellman is Director of Agriculture for the state of Nebraska, and during this June Dairy Month, he talked about that family farmer and what it means to the state. This is a perfect example of a uh, family-owned dairy that has grown, moved into cheese processing, and uh, the Nebraska Department of Agriculture has worked with the with the Dairy Farmers Association to bring uh, attract more dairies to Nebraska and we've seen some success recently with that so currently we have 60,000 dairy cows in the state and we rank among the highest producing states per cow uh, and not only that but each each cow brings a, a large amount of economic development to the state so a great value uh, to the entire state. 
And it comes as no surprise that the good life does reach over to those dairy cattle. Nebraska has a unique climate, a uh, combination of climate and, and people, and I think it just, uh, we see the results and we see the good results because of the work that the farmers and ranchers do and the environment that we have to work with here. Comments coming from the Director of Agriculture for the State of Nebraska, Steve Wellman, and earlier in the conversation, Governor Pete Ricketts. That's a look to your news on June Dairy Month. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. KRV and Sports brought to you by the One House Auto Family. And to do it, here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Brandon. There will be a third and deciding game in the CWS Finals tonight between Oregon State and Arkansas. In Game 2 last night, the Razorbacks blew a chance to lock it up with two outs in the ninth when three fielders watched a foul ball drop between them. Moments later, Trevor Larnack followed with a two-run homer to the right field bullpen that gave the Beavers a 5-3 lead. Head coach Dave Van Horn talks about trying to put that game behind him. Well, they've been pretty tough all year, and we've had some tough losses, you know, that have, that, you know, some games that got away from us and, uh, you know, or just didn't play well. So uh, I think they're going to come out and give us a great effort. It, uh, you know, we, it, we've got to swing the bats a lot better. We haven't swung the bats good for two days. The Beavers have been the hottest hitting team throughout the CWS, but struggled to convert chances in the finals until they caught that huge break last night. And head coach Paul Casey was proud of how his team fought back. Obviously very proud of our club, and I would have said that regardless. Um, we never quit, and um, we really had some opportunities. We would tell you that scores and runs throughout the game that could have got us down, and I think we got frustrated, but we never gave in. Game three is set for tonight at 5.30 Central Time. Oklahoma City's Paul George has decided not to exercise his $21 million option for next year by the Oklahoma City Thunder and will become an unrestricted free agent. It's not an unexpected move for George, who averaged 22 points per game for the Thunder this past year. Now, by not opting into the final year of his existing deal, he opens up an array of possibilities such as going elsewhere or signing as much as a five-year deal with Oklahoma City. He had until tomorrow night to make that decision. Longtime Grand Island Northwest Volleyball coach Diana Rose was named the National High School Volleyball Coach of the Year at the National Coaches Convention this week. Rose spent 34 years as a head coach of the Vikings before stepping down after last season. She had quite the career with the Vikings. She finished with 768 career wins, three state titles, and six state runner-up finishes. And the Nebraska Match Play Golf Championships are continuing on in Omaha. The semifinals are set. Luke Kluver of Norfolk advanced along with Alex Shockey of Omaha. Noah Hoffman of McCook is taking on Jace Guthmiller in the other semifinal, which starts in about five minutes. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Heat advisories are posted for today and tomorrow for parts of central and eastern Nebraska. Stay cool out there and drink water. I'm Dave Schroeder. The Nebraska Media Group is launching a campaign to promote awareness of the First Amendment and its protections. Members of Media of Nebraska unveiled the new Think First initiative today at the Capitol. It's designed to educate Nebraska residents about the five constitutional freedoms guaranteed in the First Amendment. The campaign will begin July 4th and run through September 30th. It will be supported in kind on statewide radio and television stations, in newspapers, and on the websites and social media platforms of participating outlets. 
The foundations of the Nebraska Broadcasters Association, Nebraska Press Association, agreed mutually to fund the multimedia creative elements of the campaign, which are created by the Clark Creative Group of Omaha. Nebraska's first problem-solving court for military veterans has graduated its first four participants to complete the program. The Douglas County Veterans Treatment Court held a ceremony honoring the graduates this week and dismissing their felony charges. The graduates were facing prison sentences before entering the diversion program. The court requires participants to adhere to a strict regimen of keeping a job, treating addiction, paying restitution, and frequently meeting with the judge. It's the first of its kind to be funded by Nebraska lawmakers. Larry Hart is one of the graduates. He says his program included addiction recovery and treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. District Judge Mark Ashford oversees the court. He says he's glad Nebraska funded the court because PTSD and substance abuse are pervasive among veterans. The National Weather Service says a tornado that ripped through the Kansas town of Eureka carried winds of at least 136 miles per hour. The Weather Service determined that the twister was an EF3. The tornado touched down Tuesday in Eureka, a town of about 2,400 residents in the southeastern part of Kansas. Eight people were injured, two critically. Nearly 80 homes were damaged and at least 10 were destroyed. One of President Donald Trump's sons will be in Kansas next month to support Republican Chris Kobach's bid for governor. Donald Trump Jr. will attend a fundraiser on July 17th in Wichita in support of Kobach, who is currently Secretary of State. One dinner ticket will cost $100, and a ticket for a VIP reception before dinner will cost $500. Current radar plus your 10-day forecast anytime. Just tap the app or click weather at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Hey, listen up, rodeo fans across the territory. Turn up 880 Friday evening between 5 and 6 bells for KRVN this evening for the TRU Top 5 Countdown. Monty James here with weekly rodeo news, standings, and shenanigans presented by V-Bar Trailer Sales, Broken Bow, Nebraska. Have you ever wondered if some of the things you've heard about retirement and tax planning are myth or reality? Tune in Sunday mornings to Make Retirement Work to find out what's true. That's Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. here on 880-KRVN. Creating a farm or ranch succession and transition plan. That's the topic of today's interview with Alan Vanalik, a Nebraska Extension educator who specializes in this area. We appreciate you taking the time with us. Well, thanks for having me. You bet. This is a complicated issue, to say the least, of transitioning land, and you and I were talking about before we got recording, there are kind of two different segments of people who are transitioning land. One is to someone who's taking over the farm and somebody who might not necessarily have that. Let's talk about that point first. I don't know what the real statistics are, but I think about half the farmers don't have anyone to transition their operation to. For those folks, their transition plan is what, am I, what, what, what happens to it. Uh, for a lot of them, they have children. And so they're going to make some way to get that uh, asset or those assets to those children. The thing they have to be careful about is that they have to be careful not to end up with tax problems at the end of their farming career. Then, the people that, are, that, that have somebody coming back, um, that's, that's a whole different deal. That's, that's the funner thing to talk about, quite honestly. They have to go through four phases, uh, to get four phases of four management steps to make that transition occur to that next generation. And if we fail at any one of these steps, then that, that transition gets to be troubled mm-hmm. and it gets to be a problem. First step, then, is testing. Does that person have the, the gumption to, to stick with it through all the jobs that have to be done on a farm? Okay, 
Then the second phase then is for uh, management transfer. You can't just bring a young person back and let them do scoop manure the rest of their life. That's not going to work. Let's put them in charge of an 80 out there. Let them decide, okay, what crops are going to put in, how much fertility, uh, how much, what seed, what kind of seed, how much seed. Uh, let's decide when we're going to plant. Let's decide when we're going to, if, if and when we're going to cultivate, how to spray, what we're going to spray. And let them keep track of all that economically, too, so we know what the option is. And with very minimal input from the farmer. And that's, that's hard because farmers don't like to give up that kind of They've control. They've been doing it their whole life. They've been doing that their whole life. And, um, but but they, we have to give them some management, and we have to decide what we're going to give them management for. Are we going to give them management for the whole operation? No. That's... that's uh, that's a terrible decision. But given a, a management operation they can handle or they've showed aptitude for or something they're interested in, just to get them started with the, whet their appetite for the management. That's the second phase. So we've got testing, we've got management, and the third phase is when they're ready, we have to start transferring or, or transitioning enterprises to the, that younger operator. And so if we got a cattle enterprise or a hog enterprise, something like that, we could maybe transfer that livestock thing over. or. Uh, we transfer over some machinery, start, start moving that machinery as so we can do gifts and that sort of thing, gifting each year, uh, ways of getting machinery moved over to that younger operator that's going to be there. Uh, that's the third phase. And then the fourth phase is uh, transferring the actual land, uh, transferring those actual hard assets, those, those big number assets, and, and, and with the idea that we also have to be co conscious of or um, deal with other siblings, other brothers and sisters that aren't on the farm and make sure they're being treated equitably in that transfer of that asset. So those are the four say, stages. And when you're working through those four stages, you got to keep track of three things that are going to get you in trouble, okay? Three things that you have to watch as you're going through those four steps. One thing is you have to deal with the retirement of the older farm generation. How are you going to get the dollars they need for retirement? Where are they going to live? What's their housing look like? Uh, secondly, the, sec the other trip up is we've got to make sure the way that young family has adequate income to do what they need to do. In other words, uh, they got to grow the enterprise, they got to grow the business, and they got to have their needed income to have their house adapted to the way they want it to adapt it. Typically, they're going back into the farmhouse, right? So you got to be able to change that, and nobody should have animosity towards that. Just let's get done what we got to get done. And we have to deal with that new family, what that new family needs for their operation to work properly. So we have to deal with that. And then the third thing we have to deal with is those non-farm kids, how are we going to treat them equitably or maybe not equally, but fairly so that uh, we, can, we can deal with that in a way that we don't have families split, splitting up or getting mad at each other. So a lot of steps and a lot of considerations to be made when you go through this process, and it's, it doesn't happen overnight, obviously. As you look at uh, the past number of years you've been in this industry, specifically in Nebraska, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see when it comes to transitioning a farm, transitioning land? Uh, you wait too long. That's number and one. How long is too long? Well, you know, so the guys called me up last week from Beatrice and they were 70 years old and started thinking about, hey, well, we got to have to do something with our, with our operation. I'm going, oh man, you got to start. And no, most of the people attend one of my workshops. If you attend a workshop on ag land transition or ag, ag estate planning and that sort of thing, that's cool. I want you to come. Hope you can get to one of my workshops. We'll be offering more in July, August, and then again in November, December. But most people that attend a workshop get done with the day, and what's their number one comment? I wish I had started this years ago. I need to start this quicker. I need to start sooner. So that's the number one mistake. Okay, and the other mistakes uh, we're going to talk about more maybe a little bit later. But but uh, you know the other mistakes are things like um, uh, we'll assume the family gets along even after we're gone. 
And so those are some of the common mistakes or common, common assumptions that can turn, lead to mistakes. Mm -hmm. Good uh, way to end this is never too early to start planning. No, 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 no. Never too early and you should have started yesterday. And, but don't, that let, don't, let, don't let that stop you. Start today. Very good. We appreciate your time. Alan Donalek, he's a Nebraska Extension educator who specializes in this area of transition and succession planning. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit reporting. Time for a market update on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. As we start to enter towards the end of the trade, grain starting to pick up a little more activity as corn pushes to new lows. Soybean slipping back into the red as we start to see weakness spread apart the soybean parts complex, specifically in the soybean meal. Livestock look like they're going to hold on to most of the green going into the close. July corn closing at 347.5, down a nickel now. Uh, penny off the low. September at 356 and a quarter, also down 5.5. December at 367 and three quarters, also now down five and three quarters. March at 377, even down five and three quarters as well. July beans at 864 and a half, down three. August at 870, even down three. September at 876, even down two and a half. November at 886 and a half, down two and a half as well. July Chicago wheat at 483 and three quarters, up four and a quarter. September 485, even down three and a half. December five dollars and three quarters, down three. July Kansas City wheat at 455 and a quarter, down a nickel. September at 474, even down four and a quarter. December at 497 and a quarter, down four and a quarter. July Minneapolis at 523 and three quarters, down three and a quarter. August live cattle at a buck 372, up a dollar even. October to buck 702, up 87. December to buck 1132, up 60. August feeders now at a buck 46. 82 up a dollar five. September at a buck 47, 37 up 90. October at a buck 47, 27 up 80. November at a buck 47, 22 up 72. July lane hogs at 81, 12 up 90. August at 75, 72 up 67. And October at 61, 42 up 12. December at 56, 57 up a nickel. To the outside markets we go with the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 78 points at 24,196. And the NASDAQ up 37 at 7,000. 482 in the S&P 500 up 7 at 2,712. This is the Rural Radio Network. Hey guys, it's Shaylee, and we are excited once again this year to be bringing you Fridays in the Field. Every Friday, we'll make our way from the northeast part of the state. Hi, this is Susan Littlefield. I'm headed just south of Columbus to Bellwood and Bruce Schmidt. Bruce will keep us up to date on how the crops are growing, not only in his plots, but in the field. And then travel a little further southwest into central Nebraska. Hi, this is Clay Patton, and this year's Friday in the Field takes us to Dawson County, where I'm talking with Barbiti as he takes us through his fields in the 2018 growing year. And finally, make our way to the Panhandle to really showcase the diversity in Nebraska crops. Hello from western Nebraska. I'm Chabella Guzman, and join me on Fridays over the next few months as we talk with farmer Chris Cullen in Hemingford about everything from wheat to sugar beets and more. You won't want to miss a minute of our Fridays in the Field coverage for 2018. Keep up with all of our audio and video by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter, and visiting RuralRadio.com. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities as we take a look here at the closing livestock futures. And Joe, a green across the screen, something we haven't seen in a little while. Yeah, it's been quite a while since we saw green throughout the uh, cattle feeders and hogs and uh, today we uh, we finally got to see uh, see that come to pass and uh, in the cattle uh, looks like uh, packers are stepping up just a little bit 
not that the uh, price is jumping higher by any leaps and bounds, but uh, just the fact that, hey, uh, they're buying cattle and that that uh, is uh, uh, helped the uh, futures right along. And uh, we had some uh, triple-digit gains, uh, primarily in the first two, and that would have been the uh, June and August. Now, the June goes off the board tomorrow, uh, but uh, now back uh, higher, and I think because the August uh, uh, takes over the lead uh, at noon tomorrow, that uh, that helped prices. Uh, cutouts at noon were lower, though, but uh, didn't seem to deter uh, the buying interest, and the feeders following suit with a triple-digit gain there, too, out of the uh, nearby August, and then we turned to the hogs. Cash was uh, coming in a little bit lower, but uh, still the uh, uh, index coming down and the futures com- coming up to try and meet it. And uh, that uh, showed out in a, a green uh, board for the uh, hogs also. So positive day today. That's Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You can call Joe at 1-800-328-0134 for more information. This is the Rural Radio Network. State University and the Kansas Department of Agriculture teamed up to develop a resource for Kansas produce farmers to help them meet compliance standards within the Food Safety Modernization Act, or FISMA, Produce Safety Rule. Good afternoon, I'm Alex Wojcicki, and today we visit with Cal Jamerson, Produce Safety Extension Associate, and Londa Nwadi-Case, State Extension Consumer Food Safety Specialist, to learn more about the on-farm readiness review. Jamerson explains why the OFRR was developed. The produce safety rule is the first time farmers have had uh, this type of regulation. So it's a new territory for a lot. And when we go out to the farm, everything that happens on the farm stays at the farm. So the hope is, again, that the farmer works with who's coming out there from extension in the Department of Ag and getting an honest reflection of what's going on at the farm and then giving suggestions for areas that need improvement to be in compliance. Though some produce farmers are exempt from the produce safety rule, Nwadi K encourages all Kansas produce farmers to take part in the review. There will be a number of farms that will be exempt from, from being regulatorily required to follow the produce safety rule. So farms that are selling less than $25,000 worth of produce per year are excluded. And then there's also an exemption based on sales and then, the, and then where people are selling to. If they're selling direct to consumer or through wholesale markets, that's another possibility for an exemption. Of course, we would encourage every farmer to use safe practices and, and you know, sell as safe of produce as possible. So, so the, the actual on-farm readiness review, that's you know, just a service that's in preparation for the inspection. So there's no size exclusions or requirements or whatever to just take part in the on-farm readiness review. Nawadiki also explains how the on-farm readiness review impacts consumers. Consumers can definitely benefit from increased produce safety on the farm by, you know, having more confidence that the produce that they're buying at the grocery store is safe or, or, or the produce that they're buying at a farmer's market or, you know, just produce that they're buying from local sources, that it will be safe. Uh, you know, within Kansas State Extension, um, Cal Jamerson, you know, his 
sole job is to help produce growers to produce the safest produce they can. So, you know, he's available to help answer questions that Kansas producers might have. And, you know, so he could come out to the farm and visit with them. So that way consumers can know this produce that I'm buying from somebody that grew within the state of Kansas. You know, it's going to, it should be a safe product. And for Kansas produce farmers who want to learn more. We're having a, a course in Salina, Kansas on July 31st is a FISMA produce safety rule training. So that training, it's required that farmers that are going to be covered by the FISMA produce safety rule, that they do attend uh, one of those types of trainings. So, and that would provide farmers with a lot more information about the produce safety rule. So that's going to be in Salina on July 31st. And then on August 1, we're having a, a separate training for farmers that might be interested in getting GAP certified. So if their buyer, whoever they're selling their produce to, if they're selling to some grocery stores or wholesalers, they might ask that the grower be GAP certified. So we're providing a workshop where farmers can learn more about the GAP certification process and then they can work on a food safety plan that they'll need to be able to get GAP certified. Reporting from Nebraska Innovation Campus, which is powered by the Nebraska Soybean Board and brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. John, as we take a look here at the closing grains, uh, turned a little bit more red towards the end, especially corn, kind of racing to the end. Yeah, it was a nasty last 15 minutes. We fell, let me look at the chart real quick here, from, oh, right around 361 on the September contract and ended up at 354 in the last six minutes of the trade. So big volume on the sell as well. I think you're probably looking at a retest the last week's lows. Uh, which put July, if you still watch July as it goes into delivery here, down around where we delivered September a year ago. So, you know, I'm trying to find some bullish news. It's, it's been a pretty easy short here. I mean, you just put the short on and let it sit. And unfortunately, we haven't had a chance really to even get heat on a sellback. Um, you know, any move to 380, it's been, um, it's just been really interesting to see how quickly it's moved. It reminds me again of last fall when, when it just kept falling and falling and then all of a sudden it fell and then it bounced, you know, 15 cents. And the hope would be that maybe tomorrow we get some news that uh, supports the trade, followed by some, uh, you know, good news on the 6th of July. That would be the hope. I, I don't know if that's a trading plan I would employ, uh, given that it, it would have been the plan you probably put in place back in mid-June when things started to fall apart. But uh, wheat fell. Uh, Casey Wheat now 26 cents under Chicago wheat going into delivery, which is amazing considering it was 20 over on the 15th of June. So we've just seen a complete liquidation of the feed grain market. And, uh, now, given that Chicago wheat's hanging in, I think that's kind of your last hope here to think maybe the market can rally. And then talking about soybeans as well, they tried to turn to the green for a little while, but then that parks complex really started to see some weakness. Is that what eventually led to its downfall? Yeah, it was all selling there in the last 10 minutes. You know, we'd, we'd bounced off the lows, traded up closer to 890, and then and fell back down. There were some rumors around this morning that there was maybe some deals being talked about where China would not include soybean tariffs uh, in the... Uh, in, in anything they're going to put on it, but that that screamed somebody underwater on a trade who wanted to get out to me. Uh, at this point, nothing's changed. I will say the stat of the day that we've been kind of kicking around here is we've moved more beans in the last four year last four weeks than we did a year ago. So they're uh, 
you know, there is some demand here. It's a very underlying demand, but you know, somebody's going to be out here buying our soy. We're dollar twenty-five cheaper than they are in Brazil, and you know, the Argentinian currency is crashing as well. So you got some macro problems out there in the currency markets that are adding to the woes that farmers are taking right now. That's John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. For more information, visit danielsagmarketing.com. Again, that's danielsagmarketing.com. As we take a look, corn almost ending on the low of the day, just a quarter higher above that low. Soybeans falling right behind, wheat behind it. This is the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 